glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me, if you would, Job chapter 9. Job is just, if you would, pouring out his complaint. We could read the whole chapter, so I'm going to cut in on this uh, here. Uh, let, me, let me go back and read verses 1 and 2, then we're going to skip down to verse 19. Then Job answered and said, verses 1 and 2, Job 9, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If we go on verse 3, if he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. Now verse down to verse 19. Job's just giving a number of different arguments for how do you, how do you debate your cause with God if you feel that somehow God has not treated you correctly how do you tell God that? He's always right. He's true. He's just. How, how do you do this? Verse 19, if I speak of strength, lo, he is strong. And if of judgment, who shall set me a time to plead? Look at verse 20. I've underlined it in my Bible. If I justify myself, mine own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Verse 21, though I were perfect, yet would I not know my soul. I would despise my life. This is one thing, therefore I said it. He destroyeth the perfect and the wicked. If the scourge slay suddenly, he will laugh at the trial of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covereth the faces of the judges thereof. If not, where and who is he? Now my days are swifter than a post. They flee away. They see no good. They are passed away as the swift ships, as the eagle that hasteth to the prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will leave off my heaviness and comfort myself. I am afraid of all my sorrows. I know that thou wilt not hold me innocent. If I be wicked, why then labor I in vain? If I wash myself with snow water and make my hands never so clean, yet shalt thou plunge me in the ditch, and mine own clothes shall abhor me. For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him. And we should come together in judgment. Let's read that again, verse 32. For he is not a man as I am that I should answer him, and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him, but it is not so with me. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me just say this, and I say this as often as I have opportunity if you heard a man, let me ask this question first. If you heard a man speaking like Job was just now concerning God and his, his difficulty trusting and understanding what God is doing, what kind of a man would you categorize him as, a believer or an unbeliever? Can we be frank with each other? We say a man doesn't believe in God. You know, he knows God exists, but he's not trusting God. Well, that's what Job's three friends did. They, they, they let him know in a hurry. You are doing wrong, or God wouldn't deal with you like this. Do you know who has never talked about in the book of Job the entire time? You know whose name never came up? The one responsible for all of Job's affliction. Satan. Never was he brought up one time. Never was it suggested, you reckon that old serpent is behind all of this? Never, not once. Now, we don't want to spend our time talking about the devil, but how many of us know the devil is more than happy to let God take the blame for his ill-doing? He works very hard to get you and I offended at God. He works very... 
he sows discord among brethren. Do you know what broke the friendship for a good long time of Job and his three so-called friends? The discord that Satan sowed into the life of those men. We could go a long way and preach a lot of different things, but here's what we want to see. Job here is not an unrighteous man. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, there wasn't. this is God's account of Job. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. It says it again of him, I believe, in chapter 2, when Satan comes to present himself to God and give an account of what he's doing. God said he's a, he's a perfect. That doesn't, perfect doesn't always mean sinless. That's not what it means. It means he left nothing undone that God wanted him to do. He was a complete man. He was not someone that said, yeah, we talked about this, preached on this the other night uh, on, uh, in the church of Sardis. They, their works were not perfect. You couldn't say that about Job. Job applied himself wholeheartedly to everything God gave him. He was a man of faith. He's a perfect and upright man. He feared God. He eschewed evil. This is a good man, yet he is finding himself in chapter 9 at a place under accusation of having done something evil and brought all this trouble on himself, saying, look, I don't know what God is doing and his ways don't make sense to me, but I know who he is, so... I can't just go plead my cause. He's God and I'm a man. How do you just go to... I mean, if you have some level of understanding of who God is, how do you go to the creator of the universe and say, I think you're not doing something quite right? You don't. (laughs) You don't do it. He's God. A man who fears God won't do that. May I say, though, it is inevitable in our lives... That as you trust God, there are going to be times that the ways of God do not make sense to you. There's going to be a time that you and I will feel uniquely uh, assaulted or uniquely targeted. And what we'll think is God did this. You know why? Because God is in charge of everything. And everything rises and falls on leadership, we've heard, right? (laughs) And so we say, well, it's God's fault. God could have stopped it. He could have managed things differently. Every person in this room has an opportunity in your life to get bitter. Amen? Every one of us has an opportunity. That's why the Bible warns us of the root of bitterness. It's there for all of us, and especially to get bitter at God. It's a possibility. Here's Job. Job not understanding what's going on in his life, why he has boils, and why his children are dead, and why his cattle have been stolen, and his sheep stolen, his camels stolen. Most of his servants are dead. Everything he had in short order in this life is gone. His his home is not a happy place. He dreads going to sleep and he dreads waking up. He begs God to just let him die. I began to say, I said all that began to say, you'll find somebody at some point in your life that say, godly people never deal with being depressed. Somebody didn't read their Bible. Moses wished for death. David wished for death. Job says, I, I wish I had never been born. I'm not saying that you should stay there. I'm saying, here's a godly man who was, you couldn't put it any other way, he's depressed. Would we all agree? And it's because of what has taken place in his life. And so what he asks for is something you and I don't have to ask for. If you're born again today, what Job asked for, we have. We have a daysman. We have somebody that puts his hand on us and a hand on God, and he's full of, John 1, 17 says, grace and truth. 
As God, he'll never compromise the truth. Never. Job's friends compromised the truth. God never will. Uh, Job's friends were not full of grace. So as God to us, he'll never change the truth to make us happy. But as man, he'll go to God and get God's grace for us and minister it to us. Grace to help in time of need. May I say this morning, I say this a lot lately this church. You've heard me say it probably four or five or six times. As Christians, we are so often living beneath our privileges. If you're born again this morning, you have the very God of the universe dwelling in your heart. That's not a fable. That's not a theory. That's an absolute fact. If you're born again today, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit, is present with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what Satan wants to do is get our eyes off of the greatest resource we have, and that is access to God through Jesus Christ. And get our eyes on all the things we don't. And today, as we look at this text, Job 9.33, neither is there any daysman. I don't have a man that can put his hand on God and a hand on me and say, here's where you're wrong, Job. And here's, you know what? By the time Job got done, he got that though. Remember the final friend that comes out of nowhere and begins to plead with Job. His first win, first three, Bildad, Zophar, and, and uh, Eliphaz, all they can do is tell Job what a bad guy he is. The last guy, I believe it's Elihu, he comes and he says, look, you're not thinking correctly about God. He tells Job the truth. But then he gets Job listening to God and he gets the grace of God open to Job. You know, I believe Elihu is a type of Jesus Christ. He's the final true friend that stuck closer than a brother. He said, all these older have spoken and I've held in till now, but I'm going to be that daysman you asked for in a picture of Jesus Christ. And may I say this today, I do not know... I do not know what Satan is using in your life to try to get you offended at God, but I'm certain if he's not, he will try to use something. You'll get something to where you'll question the wisdom and the goodness of God. May I say this? God is good 24 hours a day, seven days a week, regardless of my life and circumstances. God's character is a constant and absolute The Lord is the rock, His work is perfect, all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. Is that a truth? I think on this Sunday morning, surely every person in this room can agree with Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. But there are days that's not what we think about Him. We feel as though somehow He's mismanaged our lives and that He cannot be trusted And so today we want to turn our attention to our daysmen. 1 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Mediator is another word for a daysman. The definition of the word daysman is an umpire or arbiter, a mediator or a judge. Someone who can say, I know both cases. How many have ever tried to mediate between two people in conflict? If you have never tried marriage counseling, don't. How many of you know this? Everybody's always right. You know, I've never, I I mean no unkindness, and I'm not, don't, don't, I mean no unkindness. You get two people that are upset with each other, they get upset with each other, and if you talk to him and hear his side of the story, you think that woman is awful. And you talk to her and you think, what a pig you married. Huh? Because everybody's always right. You ever tried to faithfully, look, as a man, and you're trying to help a man and a woman, and you start saying something to say, look, lady, this is what you're doing wrong. She's like, you're a man. You don't understand. 
and there's nothing I can do about that, <laughs> including in this messed up world we live in. That's right. That's true. You cannot. You ever try to represent two sides of an argument and try to say, you know what? I'm going to be just. I'm going to listen to everything this guy has to say and everything this guy has to say, and I'm going to try to bring these two people together. I've seen good, godly brethren disagree, sat down with this brother and talked to him, sat down with this brother and talked to him, hoping to put a hand on both of them and bring them together, and all that happens is you get all stretched out <laughs> because we're not God. But that's what Job wants. He says, I want to be right with God. I need a daysman. Well, we have that. This morning, if you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, you don't have him because he doesn't have you. You must be born again. I really believe the spirit of God's leadership today, even coming into the message today, is more of the application to us as God's people who have the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator. He has reconciled us to God. Our sins have been pardoned for his sake, but we need to understand what we have. So for that purpose, we're going to have to look at some basic doctrinal things about him as our mediator, but to bring us to an understanding of who Christ is as the daysman between us and God. Jesus Christ came into this world to reconcile sinners to God, meaning his Isaiah chapter 55. I'm not going to turn there for time's sake, but the Bible tells us there in verses 6, I think about verse 10, that his ways are not as our ways, and our thoughts are not as his thoughts. Therefore, we're to forsake our thoughts and forsake our ways and turn unto him... That's what Jesus Christ came to do, to turn us from our iniquities unto God because we know we've offended him, we know he's displeased with us, but if we will repent toward him through faith in Jesus Christ, he'll pardon us. That's salvation. And so then, I want to see a few things this morning, uh, three things this morning about the Lord Jesus Christ as our daysman, how that what Job asked for in verse 33 is exactly who Jesus Christ is. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Remember what Job said? He said that God, verse 32, he said, He is not a man. But you know today we can't say that. I understand God is not a man that he should lie. God is not a man that he should repent. But got a question. Has God ever become man? The, the, The vast discrepancy between the spirit of Antichrist and the spirit of God is the spirit of God says, To reconcile man to God, God became a man. The spirit of Antichrist says to be reconciled to God, man must become God. That is the prevailing spirit in most religion in our our world today uh, is that man must become God. And we are so advanced in our knowledge and so advanced in scientific advancement that we're right there. There There are scientists so bold to say today there's no need for God anymore. Man has advanced to deity. With our, with our scientific ability, we are right on the cusp of creating life. You know what? We're right there at the top of the Tower of Babel, and God's about to cut us down because of that arrogant attitude. No, no, no. The gospel is God became a man. We need a daysman, someone that could understand what it is like to live in a sin-cursed world. Under the Wouldn't it be nice if you knew somebody you could communicate that knew what it was like to be forsaken because you've done what's right? Don't you wish you knew somebody that had had gone through the experience of family members cutting you off because you have been true to the word of God? Don't you wish you knew somebody that knew it was like to have your dearest friends deny that they even know you because you've been loyal to God? Wouldn't it be good to have somebody that could put a hand on you and say, Son, I know what that's like. Oh, if God only understood our experience. But he does. And the very things 
that we allow to come into our heart and make us embittered in the service of the Lord. Friend, we have a daysman that we can go and talk to, and he knows all about it. And so this morning, we must begin with his incarnation, God becoming man, Philippians chapter 2. I won't belabor this point, but we must go through it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. The Bible says, let this mind... Let's back up to verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That's just self-centeredness. If you want a definition of strife and vainglory, watch two three-year-olds for two hours. You'll get it. That's strife and vainglory. That's what it's all about. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. No verse could be any plainer on who Jesus Christ is. There was no no discredit to God for Jesus Christ to be thought equal with God. Verse 7, But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. When we think about how the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world, you realize the Jewish people, especially the Sanhedrin, expected him to show up by some significant miracle. It's insinuated that one of the reasons Satan tempted Jesus to cast himself down from the temple is that if he did and he survived, immediately the religious leadership would accept him as the king. What a miracle! He he descended from heaven as a a king. (laughs) And Satan was trying to get Jesus to shortcut the cross. We know that. You remember when, when Peter tried to get Jesus to shortcut the cross? He said, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. What did Jesus call him? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're trying to do what Satan is doing, and that is to get me to avoid the cross of suffering. Do you realize the Lord Jesus Christ has gone through every human experience, every human experience except the commission of sin? He came into the world by birth. Did he have to be born? Couldn't he have just showed up as a 33-year-old man and said, I'm king? But instead, so he could carry our sorrows and uh, be be, 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 uh, to identify with us in our afflictions. We'll read those verses in Isaiah 53 here in just a little bit. He came into this world the same way you and I did. Uh, through the womb of uh, of a mother. Of course, the mother who's a virgin, we know he came as a sinless son of God, God his father. But the point is, he was born into this world. He went through the birthing experience. He was born into a life much worse than most of us were born into. I was born at a hospital with a sanitary room and doctors to care for me to make sure I survived. I was treated more like a king than Jesus was when I was born. He was born in a stable laid in a feeding trough, a manger. He's experienced poverty from day one in his birth. He could have been born in a palace, but God didn't choose to do it that way. He could have been born in Jerusalem, but God had him born in Bethlehem. You understand, his incarnation is part of his being a daysman. The way he came into this world, the Bible says, and the Word, John 1, 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You think of it this way, and God's Word is recorded that we might think and put these things together and have an understanding of the ways of God. God, if He had had the Lord Jesus born in a palace and raised as a king, who could have touched His life? Only the aristocracy, only the most elite. But as a commoner, 
as a servant. You know who could come in contact with Jesus? Whosoever will. If a king could humble himself, he could have an audience with Jesus Christ. That great, powerful centurion who had a servant that was sick. Do you realize how important a man that centurion was? He had a hundred soldiers under his care. He was a professional at what he did. Yet he said of Jesus, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Yet when he would humble himself like that, he could have an audience with the very Son of God. My point is this. God provided a mediator for us and the means of his provision, having him born into the, this world, into poverty, born as a servant, born lowly, raised in the despised little town of Nazareth. God's wisdom is infinite. Do you realize there are people who hated God and the very reason they rejected Jesus is because where he was raised? It had, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? No prophet comes out of Galilee. What are you talking about? Oh, God in his infinite wisdom. There are those that said, we don't want a savior and God made sure they didn't get one. Oh, he was available, but not to the proud in heart. So we see in his incarnation, he's sovereign. He is the Lord God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but he came as a son. He came as a servant that he might be our Savior. Uh, the Lord Jesus, told, uh, the angel told Mary that Jesus would be born. His name would be Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all of this we see in his incarnation. We see him as the daysman. He came as God and became man. Again, John 1, uh, 1, 2, 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Again, verse 14. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's John 1, 17. Grace and truth deals with his dual nature. He is God and he is man. He has the grace of God and the truth of God. Grace for man, truth from God, and he is full of both. May I say this? Grace and truth are not in conflict with each other, by the way. They are not not foes. The Bible gives us grace and truth in contrast to the law. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. That's John 1.17. So the contrast with the law of death and of requirement of sinlessness, grace and truth, the daysman to say, you've offended, but I'm offering pardon to you, that's what is in Jesus Christ. We know that if you're saved this morning, we need to be reminded. And so his incarnation tells us he's the daysman that Job spoke of and requested. Number two, we see that he's a daysman in his identification with us. Turn now, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And here's where I believe we get into a little more application to those of us who say, Pastor, I know this. I know he's God in the flesh and I know he came to live a sinless life and he came to die for me. Good, that's good. If that's the way we're rehearsing it through our minds, we need a little reviving this morning. We ought to never get bored with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? If we do, we need, we need some stirring spiritually. Isaiah chapter 53 uh, Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 
All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want our emphasis to be on verses 3 and 4. He's despised, rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There are those that get angry with God. Unbelievers and believers alike that say, God doesn't understand what I'm going through. Why, if I do right, do bad things happen? Why, when I serve God, do the pressures become greater? Why, 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 why does this happen? It seems like every time I go forward with the Lord, there's a greater assault from sin and the world and Satan. And if this is what it means to serve God, I don't understand. But listen to me this morning. God sent a daysman in those moments who knows what it's like to do right and receive wrong. In the light of Jesus Christ, do any of us have a right to complain about our treatment? I say this, a glance and then a focus on Jesus Christ will will cure every ill of your soul. We get out of sorts with God when we get our eyes off of our Savior. You know when Peter sank? When he looked at the waves instead of Christ. Do you know when the disciples accused Jesus of not caring? When they looked at the waves coming into the boat instead of the sleeping Savior in the back of the boat. Had they said, well, if he's sleeping, we can too. They'd have been in a lot better shape. But instead, Satan was able to use a storm to get them offended at him. Didn't Jesus understand their storm? Well, of course, he was in it with them. Then why wasn't he as full of fear as them? Because he's God. He's in control. But he's a man. Don't you think he knew what was happening in that boat? Would they not have been better to say, you know what, let's be influenced by the sleeping Savior more than the stormy winds. I said, gave that devotion to my children the other day. We were on that miracle. I said, I don't think the Lord is sitting in heaven on his throne today saying, oh, no. Oh, no, there's a Democrat in the White House. Oh, no. What am I going to do? Do you? No then why are we all out of sorts? So, Pastor, you're a liberal. No, don't, don't, don't do that. I believe in Christ. I believe He's King of kings and Lord of lords, and I don't think the storms that distress us distress Him. So He doesn't understand, but He does understand. Surely, surely He hath borne our griefs. There is not a grief known to man that Jesus didn't know. You ever been falsely accused of your parents of doing something or being something you're not? So has He. You ever been, you ever been misrepresented? Has anybody ever accused you of being possessed and controlled by demons? I can share with him that. I've been accused of that. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> yeah, he, he has been. You know, it's one thing to do wrong and get in trouble for wrong. That'll, that'll break your heart. Do you know where we get offended at God? When we do right and we suffer for it. And it's at that moment you and I better understand we have a daysman. We have someone who knows what that's like. We have someone as our Savior this morning who knows more about our griefs than we do. We need to get our eyes on Him. So let me give you a few things about His identification with us. Turn, if you would, now to Hebrews 2. You're going to see a lot of Scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 2. Job asked for a daysman. Jesus Christ is our daysman. We see that by looking at His incarnation, how God became man. But we see him as a daysman in his identification, meaning the Bible says he was made perfect through his sufferings. How do you make Jesus perfect? Have you ever studied Luke chapter 2 and it says, And he increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now some go into heresy here and they start saying, Jesus is so human he didn't know he was God. Nonsense. 
He never, he never laid aside his deity, but he also chose to be limited to humanity. That was the sovereign choice of God. He chose to allow himself as God to be limited to our experiences. How does the God-man get hungry? How do you add wisdom to Jesus? But he increased in. That means he limited himself on purpose. That he might increase in wisdom. You see, he knows what it's like to go through. You, you're sitting here this morning, you're a preteen or you're a teen. I'm going to tell you something. There's some other teen years that you get this complex that nobody understands my life. That's a lie of the devil. Your parents may not understand your life. They probably understand a lot better than you think. Your pastor may not understand your life. Your teacher may not understand your life. Your siblings probably don't understand your life. But I promise you this, Jesus Christ does. No one knows the pain I'm going through. Do you know what it's like to, to be falsely accused of a parent? Do you know what it's like for to, to not be given credit for what you've done, what's right? Maybe not, but I know someone who does. You realize as a 12-year-old boy, the Lord Jesus Christ was accused of doing wrong to his parents? What about parents that forget the Son of God for three days? How about that? And Mary says, how could you do this to your father and I? You know what she forgot? Joseph was not his father. And Jesus, in his wisdom as a 12-year-old, said, Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? He didn't correct her. He didn't rebuke her. He just reminded her of who his father was. And then the Bible says he went and was subject to them. He has, he has gone through. He can identify with anything that you are dealing with today uh, as your Savior. If he's not your Savior, I'll emphasize this again. The first thing you need him to do is to provide to you God's forgiveness for, for sinning against a, a gracious and a holy God. But for so many here this morning... You have believed on Christ. You've received the pardon for your sins. Do we really understand who Christ is to us right now? He is our daysman. Just like Job, a just and an upright and a perfect man, a man who is living right and bad things happen to a good man. Do you know what he needed in that moment? A daysman. When bad things happen to you, I'm going to tell you, the period of my life where I got out of sorts with God was over this kind of thing. I watched people who were serving God wholeheartedly hurting deeply. And I said, well, if that's what you get for serving God, I don't think I want it. Stupid decision. You know what I should have done? Listen to my daysman. To say, son, I know what it's like. I, I, I've been in worse than you're in, I promise you. Someone to walk me through and say, God hasn't failed you and he's not failed them either. Amen? Let me ask you something. Did God fail Job? Some of us sympathize with Job's reasoning and say, oh, yeah, I don't understand what God did either. You better check your heart. You better let your, your Savior minister to your soul. Because you know what? As Jesus hung on the cross and God wouldn't even look upon him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Never has a good man had such evil poured on him. You and I have no, no excuses, Christians, to get offended at a holy God. Amen? Let's see a few areas where he can identify with us. Number one, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his incarnation, can identify with what it's like to live in a world where sin is present. Where sin is present. Jesus did not come into a sinless world. The Bible says, uh, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews chapter 2, if you're there, verses 14 through 18, the Bible says, for as much then... 
as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that's his incarnation, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, meaning he became a man. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. I love the next three words. He is able to succor them that are tempted. The Lord Jesus came into a world where sin was present. He knew the presence of sin. Number two, or letter B, he knew and knows the pressures of sin. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points... Meditate on that. But was in how many points? In all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The whole context of that is the Lord Jesus Christ has been touched with the feeling of your infirmities. He knows what it's like to be hungry and to be tempted to eat out of selfishness and self-centeredness, is that not what Satan tempted him with, if thou be the Son of God? Turn these stones into bread. Do you know what that decision would have been made on? Unbelief. I'm not sure I'm the Son of God, so I've got to prove it. Had Had not God the Father just told him, this is my beloved Son whom I'm well pleased? But the devil comes along and says, I'm not sure you're the Son of God, and you're not sure you're the Son of God, so prove you're the Son of God by turning these stones into bread. You're hungry and you know it. 40 days not food, you'd be hungry too. Jesus knew it was like, the Bible said, being thus wearied with his journey, John chapter 4, he sat thus on the well. Many times, our reason for yielding to temptation is, I'm weary, I'm tired, I've been trying, I have some needs too. I've got to look out for me. Jesus knew what it was like. And as God, you know what he says? Yielding to Satan is always sin, even if you're hungry. Isn't that a a rough truth? Yielding to sin is still wrong, even if you're tired. But as man, he goes to God and says, Father, I know the pressures they're under, and they've yielded, but I did not. And they've come to me to hide under my righteousness. And I'm asking you for my sake to forgive them. You see, where I have sinned and you have sinned, he is not. And you and I, look, it doesn't change the definition of sin. He's truth but it does give us grace to help in time of need. The daysman with a hand on us and a hand on God. You realize Jesus Christ is our channel to God. We have from God. You know how Christ overcame the presence and pressure of sin? By the power of the Spirit of God. Do you know how you and I overcome the pressures and presence of sin today? The same. Through Jesus Christ. He he was tempted like as we are. When you face temptation, do not ask yourself, can I endure? No, you can't. Nor can I. Ask yourself, did he endure? And cling on his strength, not your own. 
Amen? Oh, child of God, if you get all this this morning, that's absolute victory 100% of the time. When you say, I cannot, but Christ already did. And I'm not just talking about paying the penalty for your sin. I'm talking about the pressures of sin. Did Jesus not win every time he faced Satan? How about you? How about me? You know what we can say? Someone can say, well, God doesn't understand. That's not true. He does. He has walked in our shoes. In fact, he understands the pressures of sin way more than you and I do. I have never been faced with obey God or you'll be murdered tonight. You know what he said? You know what happens often when we first get the bitter taste of the cross? We go, you can have it. Same thing Peter did. I want no part of it. Jesus said, Father, accept this cup pass from me. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And in following the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't bear his cross, but there's a cross for us to bear. And we go to pick it up and we say, my goodness, no. <laughs> because we're trying to bear it in our strength instead of his. I'm trying to say to you this morning, as our mediator, as our intercessor, as our daysman, he came into this world. That's his incarnation. But he identified with us in that he suffered. He suffered from the presence of sin, a world that hated him for coming. You would think the world would be like the angels and say, Oh, God, thank you for doing something about our sinful state. But he came into his own. His own received him not. I wonder if, he, I wonder if God understands what it's like to be hated in your hometown. To be thought you are no account because we know you. You're, you can't be who you claim to be. You're from here. Of course he knows. In his hometown, they tried to throw him over the brow of a hill. They tried to kill him on multiple occasions. He did the least miracles in his hometown because he was despised there. What if he knew what it was like to have family members that thought he was a fraud and some kind of a fanatic? Oh, yeah, his own brethren didn't believe on him for his entire earthly ministry until he ascended to heaven. My point is this this morning. You and I can go through, I wonder if he knew what it was like to be physically persecuted for righteousness' sake. Oh, yes, he was hanged on the cross. And so he identifies us in the presence of sin, the pressures of sin, the product of sin, meaning just the outcome and the effect of sin on the world. As I said, hunger, weariness, tiredness, death of loved ones. John eleven thirty five. it's one of the most ironic passages of Scripture in the Bible where Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but the Bible says he wept. Isn't that amazing? If he knows what he's going to do, why did he weep? He's identifying with his, Mary and Martha in their grief and their sorrow. He knew the presence of sin and the pressures of sin and the product of sin and the power of sin. He was met after... Think about the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells his disciples, let's get onto the boat and go to the other side. And they say, yes, sir. And they get on the boat and the storm comes. We referenced it a few minutes ago. He knows they're going to the other side. He's taught them, I am the Son of God. You can trust me. But in the midst of the storm, he's sleeping and the waves are coming in and they accuse him of not even caring about them. Look it, he left heaven, became a man, and they're at saying, you don't care for us? We do the same thing. Lord, if you cared for me, this storm would not be in my life. But you realize, he was in the storm as well. Did they not forget he's a man? So was he having to deal with the same thing they were dealing with? The problem is he's also God. Not a problem. But notice this. Here's how welcome he was. 
in that storm, his disciples doubt him and say, Don't, carest thou not that we perish? You're here sleeping. If you were really what you're supposed to be, you'd be upset like us. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Americans feel that way today. Do, do you not care that our nation is perishing? <laughs> he knows. God, God knows. And did not his nation perish because of what they did to him? Did he not warn there will not be one stone standing upon another because you've rejected the Savior? My point is this. He gets to the other side out of the boat, and the first thing he's met with is the power of sin. A demoniac, two demoniacs, the Bible says, meet him, and they say, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Get out of here is what they're saying. Go away! And he casts the devils out. One, we don't know what happened to the man. The other is clothed and sitting in his right mind. And you would expect the community to come and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for cleaning up our community. Thank you for transforming lives. But because they lost a couple thousand pigs and they saw the dramatic transformation of what the welcoming committee said to Jesus, leave, please. Now, we don't want you here. Now, do you think he can identify with our sorrows? We're scratching the surface this morning. He's the daysman. In fact, when I read the book of Job, you know what I read? What Job grieved over was just a foretaste of what Jesus would go through. Jesus' friends all forsook him and fled. All. Everyone. You know who was loyal to Jesus the night that he's standing being tried by Pilate? You know how many friends he had standing by his side? And you and I get upset with God because of the circumstances of our life. Don't you think we need to let the daysman lay his hand on us and say, I know your, I know your sorrows. I've experienced every one. But I overcame your sin. And God has given victory. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He identifies with us in knowing the presence of sin, the pressures of sin, the product of sin, the power of sin. But you know what? He knows the penalty of sin. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. I mean, we know that that kingdom is not established on earth yet. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what Jesus came and did? He took the stinger out of death. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? You know what? Can you, can you imagine this morning being an unbeliever approaching death without Jesus Christ? I'd be terrified. And most are, whether they admit it or not. But for the child of God this morning, when you're ready to walk through death's door, you can say, Daysman, I've never done this. Would you please pull me through? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know what? The Lord Jesus, when we come to the very ultimate thing that most people live their lives afraid of. You know why COVID was so effective in regard to controlling men? Fear of death fear of death it, it, evil men who work for Satan I'm not saying every person out there was evil doing that I'm saying there are evil men who work for Satan to promote the fear of death 
And for the child of God, friend, the sting of death is gone. You know what? Our Savior took death on and put it under His foot. You realize for the Christian, death is nothing but a half a second. It's the suffering that leads up to it that's worse. Death itself, it's a doorway. It's a passage right into the presence of God. Why Jesus, Paul said, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, man, I, I'm in a strait betwixt two. To abide is better for you, but to depart is far better. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I am excited about being present with the Lord. And this morning, the Lord, listen, there's not a human experience that your mediator doesn't know. Whoa, but I'm going to have to die someday. He already did, and he died a death far worse than any of us ever have to imagine. You know what? I find relief thinking, you know what? I, I read the garden experience, and I think, I am so grateful. I don't have to save anybody. I would cower out. I promise you, I'd be with the disciples running for my life. You say, well, pastor. That's why he's the Savior. I, the more I read my Bible, the more I, in my heart, it's like, what? What a Savior we have. You'll know no man with courage like Jesus Christ who could look those that had the power to kill him in the eye and say, you're of your father the devil and his works ye will do. You talk about a courageous preacher. Woo! We have a mediator. Holy God, holy man who can say, yes, as God, I know what it's like to be tempted to sin. I know what it's like to be falsely accused. I know what it's like to do right and be treated as though you're the filth of the earth. I know what it's like. And yet God is still righteous. God is still good. You know what? We want to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? I can't explain all that, but I'm sure glad a good man, the only good man, was willing to let bad things happen to him that I might be made good. Aren't you? And as we are the salt of the earth, we are to add savor to that sacrifice and be willing be willing to let some bad things happen to us and let our daysman put his hand on us and say, I can lead you through this. Amen? And so he identifies with us in the presence and pressures and product and power and even and especially the penalty for sin. And then finally his intercession. You know, because he was incarnated, that he came to die, and then if he were just, if all he knew was identity with us, he's no good to us but he ever liveth to make intercession for those that come to God. Look at Hebrews 7, 25. It's our final point, his intercession. He is the mediator. Today he's in heaven. He came to earth and put a hand on man. Today he's in heaven. He's got a hand on God. He's the mediator between God and men. Hebrews 7, 25, verse 24 says, But this man, speaking of Jesus, because he continueth ever, meaning he's alive forevermore, hath an unchangeable priesthood, wherefore he is able also to save to the uttermost. By the way, for those who think you can lose your salvation, need to meditate on Hebrews 7.25. You only can't be saved eternally if Jesus can't save to the uttermost. Amen? Amen. I'll say amen to that. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest, verse 26, became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered up himself. 
For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity, but the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. The Bible makes it very clear. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. But thanks be unto God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our victory over the presence and pressure and power and penalty of sin is to a Savior who's not dead but living. The mediator, listen, salvation is in the daysman. The mediator is able to take a sinful man and bring him to a holy God. Our, we have, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, These things write we unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If Christ is your Savior, He advocates for you in heaven. He defends you from what the law would do to you in, in destroying you because He has tasted death for every man. His victory is our victory. Again, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And so we see in His intercession, He can intercede for us as our mediator because He's victorious. He's alive, having tasted death for every man, having uh, carried our, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, being smitten for our sins. He's living as a, a living daysman to put one hand on us and one hand on God and bring us together. His vitality, again, because His victory over the grave, He's alive And as such, Hebrews makes the point over and over, because he's a living high priest, our hope is in him being alive. He is alive to guarantee what he purchased when he died on the cross. And then his virtue. So what do you mean by that? As the living high priest, he is ready today to minister pardon to the unrepentant sinner. If you repent toward God, acknowledge, "I I have sinned. I deserve God's wrath and judgment. But Jesus already took it for you. The Bible says, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. The Bible tells us, we just read in Hebrews 7, 25, wherefore he is able. That's where I speak of his virtue. He is ready to act as your mediator today. So I'm already saved. How many of us understand this message is not just about being saved? How many of you understand the day you were born again, you were saved from the penalty of sin, but you need Christ to save you every day? Not from hell. If you're pardoned, that's once and for all done. You're a child of God. You need His life to save you from the pressures and the power of sin in your life. He ever lives to make intercession to those that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession. He's able to save them the uttermost. At 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church. Amen. He is able. That speaks of His willingness and His readiness not only to pardon our sins, but to give us grace to overcome our temptations. You know, the, you know what the way of escape is? It's Him. How many times in our temptation do we think about what we're being tempted with? Flee to Him. Don't, don't meditate on your temptation. You'll yield. Flee to Him. He's the way of escape. Amen? He's the, he is the one. You say, I just need somebody to talk. Have you ever needed someone to counsel with you? I don't know of anybody who's gone through what I'm going through. And many times that's a deception in itself. There's no temptation taking you but such as is common to man. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, we read earlier, verse 18, he is able to succor them that are tempted. What does succor mean? Come alongside and assist you. He knows what it's like. He knows how to walk you through whatever you're being tempted with. You're, you're being tempted to quit obeying God. You're being tempted to start doing something sinful. Whatever it is, he's been there. 
He is the daysman betwixt you and God to take the grace of God and give it to you and bring you forward in His will. You know what? Once Job could get his eyes back on God, he got things right, didn't he? Once he could get his eyes back on, you know what? You're the creator. You have the wisdom to create the universe. Uh, You have the wisdom to run it your way. But it took a man to get Job's eyes on God, did it not? And today we have the man Christ Jesus. And this morning you say, I'm glad to be saved, but maybe we need our we need our focus checked. You know what? If you're here this morning saved, you have a living Savior who is ready to succor you today, to come alongside you and shore you up and give you strength to overcome the opposition you face in your flesh, in a sinful world, the pressures of sin. Maybe it's the fear of death today that has a grip on you. You have someone to go to who faced the fear of death and conquered it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Amen. Do do we utilize what we have in Christ Jesus? As our Savior, He's got a hand on us. Job said He's not a man. But we can say, but God is a man in the man Christ Jesus. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. It's no wonder... The Bible warns us to not, to not fail of the grace of God, meaning you be sure and flee to your high priest and his throne to get, get his grace to help in time of need, lest any root of bitterness spring up and thereby many be defiled. This morning, we need to be reminded, if we find ourselves in Job's shoes, you know what we have? We have a daysman. God became man. He tasted death for every man. Now he lives to, to not only save your soul, but to shepherd your soul as you walk through everything he's been through. There's not one one thing you'll face that Christ cannot lead you through. Amen? I mean, I just wish it was all green pastures and still waters. It's not, though. You can't get to the table spread without going through the valley of the shadow of death. But you know what's wonderful about that? He is with you every step of the way. To say, I've been here, you just follow me. Mm-hmm.